All right, now I'll, I'll briefly uh, just, just that we got that because it was funny and it's true and it's part of this series that we're beginning, but uh, we're not going to officially offer a membership class. What we are going to do, and we've got a lot of people who've been coming, some for a long time, some for a short, um, that have asked questions about that. And so on Sunday, March 1st, Sunday, March 1st, right after this service, or after second service, sorry, we're going to have a, a lunch. Uh, the leadership will be there. The staff will be there uh, just, to, just to answer questions about the church and talk to you about the church and what it means to become a member of the church. Over the next three weeks, and I'll describe this more fully as, as we go on, but over the next three weeks, uh, we're going to make the case for church membership and why we believe it is in Scripture, what the church's role for this process is, and what your role is as a member of the church. And so uh, hopefully uh, you'll be along for this whole journey of three weeks. We're actually going to use this series moving forward um, to show new people as they come into the church, to give them a resource to go to, help them understand church membership better. And so we'll talk about that a bunch as we go through this series. But it is true what they were saying in that video. And so hopefully, uh, while humorous, uh, you will understand why um, we played that here in just a moment. Now, I don't know, it might have been a while for some of you, but a lot of you have probably experienced this, all right? So you might have to go back with me in time just a little bit, okay? Years and years ago, for some of you, maybe recently for others, you met someone. Maybe you were introduced by a friend, and for whatever reason, you, you kind of got to know that person just a little bit. You know, you know I kind of like that person. I think I'll ask him out on a date, right? Does anybody remember those days? Anybody remember a date ever? Been on a date recently, maybe even? That would be neat. Um, my wife and I got to go on a, a date earlier this year, actually, already. Wow, already this year we've had a date. It's been incredible. We don't get to do it, unfortunately, very often. But anyway, we got to it. It was, it was wonderful. So you, you found this person. You, you dated them for a little while. You began to, to meet with them. You, you realized you enjoyed spending time with them. You enjoyed talking with them. You enjoyed eating with them. You just enjoyed being around them. So... You dated some more. Week after week, month after month, dare I say for some of you, year after year, you kept dating that person. Decades, oh wow. <laughs> you know, at some point in time, the next logical step would be to ask that person to marry them, right? In theory, that's what would come next. Now, here's the reality though. You really like to date them. And in this world that we live in, come on, commitment, loyalty, devotion, gosh, that's asking a lot, isn't it? So wouldn't it be better to just continue to date them, to just keep dating them? Now, there might be somewhere in that process where one of the two parties decide, you know, I think I would really like a little higher level of commitment from you a little more loyalty from that person, a little more devotion and dedication from that person. But you really like dating them. You see, because if you ever decided to go further than that, well, you know, that would require all kinds of commitment. And let's just be really honest. If you just continue to date, at any point in time, something better might come along. And you can easily just ditch the situation or, oh my goodness, what if something bad happens? What if times get tough? You know, it's, it's a lot easier to walk away in those circumstances. Now, I don't need to tell you anything you don't see every single day in this world, do I? Everybody, this lack of commitment exists everywhere, especially in our strongest relationship, that of marriage that exists in our society today. I don't need to describe to you what that has done to marriages. I don't need to describe to you what that's done to children. 
families and ultimately the society as a whole, do I? I think we all have a pretty good understanding of how that has really messed things up. Does it make sense for one of the two people in a relationship to at some point in time desire a higher level of commitment from the person that they're dating if, if that relationship is going to last? Of course, right? Of course, absolutely, it does. And so now that I've completely set you up for what I'm about to tell you, here's what you must understand. Are you married or are you just dating the church? You might think that's out of whack, that doesn't make sense. Oh, no, 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 it makes perfect sense because throughout the New Testament, the church is often called the bride of Christ. Yeah, there's an intimate relationship there, isn't there? Absolutely. Now, here's the reality. Many, many Christians believe that church membership is at best an outdated idea from the relics of church history. And at worst, many people will say, it's not biblical at all. You can't find it in the New Testament. So what we're going to do is over the next few weeks, we're going to explore those concepts and everything in between, hopefully, so that we can share with you the vital importance of having a church family, a belonging to a church, having a church home, and then, consequently, what your role is within that household of faith. Now, I mentioned this a minute ago, but this will be a foundational sermon series for us moving forward. We're actually going to put this in a package, if you will, to have, so that as God brings us new people over the years, we can actually hand them something when it comes to the topic of church membership, and we can show them what Scripture says, what we believe, and how we implement those things. It is so important for people to understand the importance of belonging to a local body of believers united in the love the message, the mission, and ultimately the service of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I, I'll be very honest. I, I don't like to hide things from you. I'll be very, very honest about this series. If you are listening and you do not have a church home or you've been dating Berea for a very long time, we're going to call on you to step forward and make that commitment. We're going to challenge you with God's word to commit already and join the body of Christ here. We're praying that several people do come forward, and, and I'll describe that as time goes on. We know there are people, long-standing attenders, that are highly involved in the church, but for whatever reason have never made that official declaration. We'll explain the importance of that here in just a couple weeks, actually. But here's the reality. We want them to declare that they want to be adopted by Berea Christian Church, that they want to fully commit and join the family here to worship. And here's why. We want to worship together. We want to love together. We want to serve together. We want to cry together. We want to rejoice together and whatever else might come our way together, no matter what. So that when little things happen or things change or people, this, this, we're still together because it's Christ that unites us. Now, have any of you ever been asked the question, especially you guys have been going to church a long time, do I have to be a part of a church? Do I have to join a church? They might have said something like this even, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Is that true or not? Can I be a Christian without going to church? Well, the answer to that question is yes, absolutely. You can be a Christian without going to church. Just like you can be a student who will not go to school, a soldier who will not join the army, a citizen who doesn't pay taxes and 
won't vote. A salesman that doesn't have any customers. An explorer that doesn't have a base camp. A seaman with no ship or crew. A businessman who lives on a desert island. An author with no readers. In honor of today, a football player with no team. A scientist who never shares his discoveries with anyone. Or a bee with no hive. Now, every single one of those examples, those exist perfectly fine by themselves. You can be every one of those things, but you can never, ever, ever fulfill your purpose without others. They could never fulfill their purpose by themselves in life. The same is true of the Christian and the church. So what we want to do is we want to start with God's word. I know it seems like a crazy, strange place to start, doesn't it? But I think it's a really good one for us. Is church membership even biblical? Now, I have been told on more than one occasion that it is not because the words church member never exist in the New Testament. I will confess to you that is a true statement. The Greek word for church, ekklesia, means gathering, is in no place in the New Testament, in the entire New Testament, paired with the Greek word melios, which means member. So there you go. Church member doesn't exist in the New Testament. However, we are the ones that made up that term, not them. So of course it wouldn't exist in the New Testament. The idea, the concept of church membership is everywhere in the New Testament. Some might even say after the gospel, it would be the heartbeat of the New Testament. In fact, the early church could not have existed without two things. If people were not first and foremost devoted to Jesus Christ and his teachings and the gospel message, and second of all, devoted to one another. That's the reality of the New Testament. Ah, but did they come forward and proclaim their membership? Well, yes, actually they did. You see, in that day and age, people would come forward and they would accept, they would confess the name of Jesus Christ. They would repent of their sins. They would come forward and they would be immersed in the waters of baptism. And from that moment on, they were a part of that body of Christ, a fixture, a mainstay, an absolute part of that body of Christ, that gathering of believers, which we would call the church. Now, in modern times, church membership has gotten a bit confusing. It it sure has. Why? Because we use that word membership for everything at this point in time. As a kid, probably the earliest way I remember the word members being used was in a TV commercial in the late 80s and early 90s. You might remember it. It had a tagline that went at the very end using the word membership. It said membership has its privileges. And it was for American Express. We just got done with the financial series. Membership has its privileges. Yes, I have the right to go into debt. Yes, pay interest. Yes, awesome. What a privilege, right? Now, the reality is that concept, that phrase has messed up the entire idea of church membership because we in America, we only join things that benefit us. And so it's completely confused the idea. We have memberships for everything now. You have gym memberships. You've got your Kroger Plus card. You're a member of Kroger. Congratulations. That's awesome. Well done. Rewards memberships, club memberships, you name it, you've probably signed up for it. In every single one of those instances, you are seeking to gain something for yourself. It might be a privilege. It might be a discount. It might be a prize, status, access to something. Why, church membership does something quite different. Are there benefits? Oh, yes. Absolutely, there are eternal benefits. 
There are earthly benefits to church membership, but that's not why you join. You join out of reverence and love for Jesus Christ and desire to be an intimate part of his bride, the body of Christ, the local church. You join so that God can now use you in a very unique way to serve within that local body of Christ. You join to serve alongside your brothers and your sisters in Christ as you reach out to those that don't know Christ yet. You see, because when you serve within the body of Christ, there is a level of commitment that is absolutely necessary. If you are a member and you serve, that means that there are other people counting on you now. You're not doing it for you. You're doing it for them to reach them with the love of Christ. Let me give you an example. If you choose, and I pray that you do, to serve our kids in this church, we pray that you are committed to them. Why? Why do you need to be committed? Our kids live in a world where they have learned not to rely on anyone. Even many of these kids, their very own parents are not dependable. They cannot trust them. As followers of Jesus, we need to be different. As men and women of God striving to become more like our Savior, we have to set an example. And our faithfulness to our service to these children will impact their lives. Some of you know that because you felt that as a kid, as you came every Sunday and had the same teacher love you. Nothing's different in that world. In my world as a youth pastor, I, I was pretty harsh with my youth leaders. We met at least 36 Sunday nights throughout the school year. And I said, here's the thing, I just need you to be there every Sunday night for 36 weeks. That's all. And oh, by the way, we meet for two and a half hours every Sunday night. Yeah. And if you can't do that, ah, I don't need you. Why? Because I need you to be committed to our kids. If they show up and you're not here, they think you don't care. And we can't portray that to them because we do care. We care deeply. Now, we know people are going to get sick. Things are going to happen. You're going to miss some Sundays. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying there's a level of commitment that we've got to own up to if we are to serve within the church. Now, there's a list of ways that the church membership or they could demonstrate this devotion to the local body of believers. And the New Testament references these things quite well. So we're going to begin to look at this text, but as we do that, I want to use an old expression here. I need you to put on your thinking caps with me for a moment, okay? I need you to do some deductive reasoning with me. It shouldn't be hard, all right? We're not going really far here. You should be able to get this. Paul, Paul wrote nearly half of the New Testament books, right? But his books weren't actually books, were they? They were letters. To who? Hmm, to the church. Now, now, we know that God has used these letters to reach the entire world, world over, right? We're still reading them. Here we are, 2020. But at the time that they were written, were they written to a random area where Paul just wrote this letter, mailed it off, and hopes that somebody might pick it up and gather some people together. They would all sit down and read this thing and go, oh, wow, this Jesus sounds really good. Maybe we should do this. Let's tell other people about this Jesus. Is that what Paul was doing here? Of course not. He was writing these letters to a very specific group of people, a group of people that knew each other, a group of people that were known by their leaders, and in many cases, a group of people that were even known by Paul himself because he planted that church. Now, we know this because when you read Paul's letters, you see specific names 
of people. He's writing to people in a church. How would he be able to do that if they didn't belong to that body of believers? The contents of these letters identify those specific groups of people. These first Christians belonged to a local group of believers. They were known by each other, their leadership, by Paul himself. In today's world, we would call them members of that local church. So listen to how Paul describes this church as a body. Now, I'm going to do something a little different. As you turn to 1 Corinthians, this is his letter to a church in Corinth. Okay, I'm going to do something a little bit different today. I'm actually going to read from a, a different version of the Bible than we normally would, and there's a reason for that, a very specific reason for that. Most modern translations use the word parts throughout this passage. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a perfectly fine interpretation of the word. However, the original Greek word melos is actually more properly translated member. Now, for you and I, we need to understand that a member of our body is the same thing as a part of our body. So my hand is a part of my body. I could also refer to my hand as a member of my body. Now, I believe that Paul intentionally used this word because it has this dual meaning, and he uses it that way. And when you read the New American Standard Bible, which will be the version behind me on the screen as well, you will see these words interchanged as Paul tries to reference them appropriately. So I did that very intentionally. Here you are, verse 12 of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, is it not for that reason? Is it not for that reason any less part of the body? And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for that reason any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole, <clears throat> so if the whole were hearing... Where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need for you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem necessary or seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on those we bestow, bestow abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor or, that, or to that member which lacked. So there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, then all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Here is the modern problem. To Paul, 
This is brutally obvious. Every one of us is a part, is a member of the body. Some hands, some feet, some eyes, some ears. Paul knows that the only way for any body part to be of any use at all is if it is connected to the rest of the body. It just makes perfect sense to him. He couldn't understand any other way. What he was dealing with, it appears, is the reality that some people thought, well, since I'm a hand, uh, we don't need you feet. Go away. And Paul's saying, no, 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 there's unity. We all need each other. See, we in the modern context have changed the argument a little bit. Paul could not make any sense of this. There is no way. He could never imagine a day where a Christian would try to make a defense for their independence from the body. In essence, saying to the body, you know what? I'm an ear. I can exist just fine all by myself. I don't need the brain to interpret those things. I don't need the eyes to see. I don't need the hands or the feet. I don't need anything else. I'm an ear. I'll sit over here all by myself. God made me that way. I'm perfect. Just leave me alone. Paul can't imagine that. He couldn't imagine the foot saying to the body, you know, leg, I don't need you. I'm fine as a foot. I know I can't move or do anything at all by myself, but, but I'm fine. I want to exist all by myself. It's an absurd idea, and it's completely a Western concept. If you go to the East where the church and its membership is growing exponentially, if you go to the Middle East and the Muslim countries where the church is growing like crazy, what do you find them doing? They're gathering all the time together. They're gathering and risking their life by doing so. It just doesn't make sense for us in the West to not want to do the same. There are strength in numbers. There is safety in numbers. There is security in numbers. There's a feeling of belonging, of acceptance, of love as a member. And if you are fulfilling your God-given role as a member, then others will need you and your presence as a foot, as a hand, as a whatever role you are filling. Paul cannot imagine, he cannot imagine why a person claiming the name of Jesus would not specifically commit to a local, groups, a local group of believers. Paul can't imagine that. Can you? Can you imagine why someone would do that? Now, if we switch gears and we talk about the head of the church, his name is Jesus. I ask you another question. Should a believer, a follower of Christ, someone striving to become more like Jesus every day, be passionate about the things that Jesus was passionate about? I hope your answer to that is yes, that would make a lot of sense. If you're going to be like Jesus, you want to have the same passions as Jesus. And so I thought, you know, it might be interesting to look at a couple things that Jesus was passionate about. I think at the top of the list would be you and I, people. I think he was pretty passionate about people. That's why he came, right? But I, I think there's another thing that he is pretty passionate about. And I believe that the words of Paul written down, recorded by Dr. Luke in the book of Acts, chapter 20, beginning in verse 28. Luke writes about this particular passion of Jesus. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he, Jesus, bought with his own blood. Yes, Jesus bought the church, bought, paid for, signed, sealed, and delivered, created the church with his own blood. Was Jesus passionate about the church? Oh, oh, you better believe it. Oh, you better believe it. Absolutely. But this passage reveals something else about church membership. If you listened carefully, you saw some words in there. He's talking to elders, leaders of the church, and he, he calls the church a flock. 
we know we're often called sheep in the scriptures. And then he calls them overseers. And then he calls them shepherds of this church. And this reveals some identity issues here within the church when we're talking about membership. In order to, be, in order to have a flock, you've got to be a part of it. In order for a shepherd to be shepherd over a flock, those have to be their sheep. They know them. They can identify them carefully. As leaders, we are called to be overseers. We are called to protect, to guide, to feed, to nourish, to do life with our church. How could we possibly do that if we don't know who our church is? It makes perfect sense. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, and God placed all things under his feet, Jesus's feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Did you know that? Did you know that the church is the fullness of Christ in this world? Did you know that was our role as the church, to represent the fullness of Christ and who he is to this world? It's an awesome responsibility, and by awesome, I mean huge, ginormous, incredible, and challenging for sure. Ephesians 5.23, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Let there no, me don't, no doubt about that Christ is the head of this church, his body, which he is Savior. Colossians 1.18 echoes the same thing as he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. Obviously, he's passionate about the church. Finally, Revelation 19.7, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Jesus is passionate about the church. Men, are you passionate about your bride? I sure hope so. I sure hope you are. If you're not, then we need to talk. You got some marital issues we need to deal with because you should be passionate about your bride just as Jesus is passionate about his, the church. He loves the church. He gave his life for the church. He alone established the church and he left us <laughs> sinful, mistake-ridden humans to run it. <laughs> he left us to ready and prepare this church, his bride, for the day in which he returns. Now, why would God do that? Why would Jesus establish this knowing the day that he did it? Actually, he knew long before, but knowing the day he did it, that we humans would get involved and we would mess things up. We'll talk a lot about that next week. Why did he do that? Why is it so necessary? Why is such a family so important to us? Well, God created us human beings with two very specific needs. He pre-wired us for these two needs. The first one being that of him. God literally pre-wired us to need him, to search for him, and even ultimately to find him. Now, we may never get to that point, but he did create us for that purpose. He makes himself readily available to anyone who is searching. You see it across the entire world time and time again. People are always searching. Unfortunately, many, many, many people settle for something far less than Jesus. And as a result... They never find themselves satisfied. They're never content in this life because only in him will we find everything that we need. The second thing that he pre-wired us for is each other. We need each other. You've got to turn all the way to the book of Genesis. You've got to open it past chapter one and you can find this need for each other. Adam was alone and he realized it. He couldn't find a suitable helper. And God's like, yeah, I knew that. <laughs> kind of made you that way. Just wanted you to realize it. And here you go. And thus it began. It manifests itself in so many different ways. But God knows 
that we need each other. He puts into place this need, desire, and a purpose now for all of us to gather together, to worship, to learn, to share, to love, to care for, and to serve alongside one another. A way to accomplish monumental worldwide tasks that you could never even dream of doing by yourself. He came and he created this way for us to care for widows and for orphans. He came and he created this place where we could welcome in anyone with any background and show them the love of Jesus and what the love of Jesus can do in their life, from addict to convict to you name it, fill in the blank. This place should be a safe place for those people to come and learn of the love of Christ. He created for us a great place to come and learn about a marriage and what it should be and what a relationship should be. He also created a place where if our marriage is struggling, we should be able to go to and get better. He created a place where we can raise up kids to learn the ways of Christ and to see godly men and women demonstrate those ways on a daily basis. He created a way for each of us to be known and to be loved as well as a way for us to know and to love one another. (laughs) Do you remember those? We've talked about them before, and we're going to do it many, many, many more times over the years. There's over 50 times in the New Testament the words one another are used, 38 of which deal specifically with how we as believers relate to one another. I'm not going to comment on all of them because it would take forever, but I did want to point out just a few just to see how well you could do these things by yourself. All right, so I thought I would start just for fun with the completely absurd. We'll go to the words of Jesus in John chapter 13. He tells his disciples to wash one another's feet. I ask you, was he Jesus saying, John, I really need you to wash your feet every day because they stink? Your own feet. Of course, no, he was not saying no. He was saying, wash one another's feet. Now, we know Jesus wasn't literally talking about foot washing. Jesus was talking about the literal act that he just performed for them. I am the savior of the world. I am your king. I created this whole thing. I even created you. And oh, by the way, I'm going to humble myself, lay myself down at your feet, take on the lowest, lowest level of society, humble myself to you. Oh, and I need you to go and do likewise. Are these your feet? Are these someone else's you're supposed to bow before? Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, Romans 12. Are we asked to be devoted to every single human being on this planet? Or is Jesus calling us to a more specific form of devotion to a more specific group of people? Think on that. Live in harmony with one another, Romans 12, 16. That statement alone says that you're living with a group of other people. And he's asking us, begging us, imploring us to get along with one another, which often doesn't happen in the church. It's pretty sad. If you only saw them once a week, how would you be able to live in harmony? Instruct one another, Romans 15, 14. In order for me to instruct you, I got to know you. I got to know the things that maybe you need some instruction in. I can't have concern for you, 1 Corinthians 12, 25, if I don't know what's happening in your life. I cannot serve you, Galatians 5, 13, if we are not together regularly. I cannot carry your burdens, Galatians 6, 2, if you won't hand them to me. I can't encourage you daily, 1 Thessalonians 4, 18, if we're not communicating daily, can I? I can't motivate you on toward love and good deeds, Hebrews 10, 24, if we are not regularly together, nor could I do it if I don't specifically get to know you and get to know how God has wired you, the gifts God has given you, the path 
God has instilled in you. Nor could I ever or ever even want to submit to you. Ephesians 5.21, if I don't know you and know that you are in, the same, in love with the same Jesus that I am, it'd be impossible. Now here's the reality. I couldn't trust you. I couldn't allow you to have that influence over me unless I knew those things about you. But you must understand this is a two-way street. You see, because we are called as members to be submitting to one another. How could we possibly do that without an incredibly intimate bond between us? Without the unity that comes from belonging to Christ, first and foremost, that will always be the first part. But then secondly, to his bride, the church. You see, the blood of Christ unites all of us with him. The body of Christ brings us together to unite and to build his kingdom in this world. Now, I know, I left out the most famous one another. Which one? Love one another. Yeah, I skipped that one completely for lots of reasons. One, because Jesus said to love who? Everyone. That's not exclusive to just other Christians, for sure. But Scripture does take it a step further. 1 Peter 3.8 says, to love one another deeply from the heart. To love one another deeply from the heart. Now, if you're a visitor here today or you're fairly new, then please, please, please do not be offended by this because this isn't a challenge for you but the challenge of the rest. To love one another deeply from the heart, I want you to look across the room somewhere. Go ahead, just turn around. Look across the room somewhere. And I want to ask you a question. Do you love that person that you're looking at right now? Do you love that person deeply from your heart? You're supposed to look across the room, not beside you. I want to ask a follow-up question. Do you even know that person's name? If we're members, if we're united in the body of Christ, then absolutely you will know that person's name and you will love them deeply from the heart. We can all say we do, and as Christians, we should. That's not the issue. Have we expressed that? Have we shown it? Have we put forth the work needed to do it? And that's what we'll finish with. 1 Thessalonians 3.12, Paul prays this prayer for the church in Thessalonica. He says, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. Did you notice the harshness of his words? May the Lord make your love overflow. What does that indicate? That maybe at that moment in time, their love isn't overflowing for one another. And so Paul's saying, hey, here's how much we love you. And we're praying right now that God makes your love overflow toward others. You see, this can only happen when you're filled first with the love of Jesus. And then you allow that love of Jesus to overflow out of you. If I'm not willing to commit to being here, if I'm not willing to get to commit to get to knowing those all around us, if I'm not committed to not just being here on a Sunday morning, but committed to attending other things that exist, other events, service opportunities, if I'm not committed to serving within this church and the people that exist here, you see, I have to work at this. God provides everything I need, all the resources. He'll provide me with all the love I can possibly ever pour out of me. He will never give me more love than I can handle. I just have to be willing to share it with others. You see, the reality is we can't do any of these things on our own. I think you understand the absurdity of that idea. No more than a foot can exist on that side of the stage all by itself. It would serve no purpose whatsoever in the kingdom of God all alone. You see, we can't even begin to imagine what God could use this church for if everyone became fully devoted members 
of the body of Christ, and we came together to serve, fully engaged as a member of the bride of Christ here at Berea. And this would go with any church across the planet. I told you next week we're going to talk more about the church and the church's role in membership, if you will, the church's responsibility for its members. And then on the third week, we'll talk about we as members and our responsibility, our, what we should be as members of the church and what that should look like. It's an incredible idea. I hope that you find that it's absolutely a biblical concept. And I pray moving forward that if you have never actually committed to joining this body of Christ. It's a very simple process. If you're an immersed believer in Christ, then anyone of that category is welcome. You do have to be an immersed member of the body of Christ in order to join the body of Christ. That should go without saying. We'll explain that a little more in detail as the weeks go on. But it is essential. And so at this point in time, we're going to be doing several things, okay? I'm going to pray here in a moment, and that prayer absolutely is going to be over these emblems before me the body that was broken, the blood that was shed, so that we become members of Christ's family and ultimately the body of Christ. But during this time as well and in the songs to follow, you will have an opportunity to respond. If you have never accepted this gift, this sacrifice that Jesus made for you, then every Sunday we want to offer the opportunity for you to do that. Whether that means you come forward here to the altar, whether that means you just sneak off into the prayer room by yourself, whether that means after the service you just stay there in your seat, kind of all alone for an awkward moment until somebody spies that you're all alone and will come to you. Whatever that looks like, we talk to you about what it means to accept Christ and to be baptized in the very chilly waters behind me. Heater hasn't worked in weeks, so it's about 65 degrees, but you know what? I'm willing to get in it with you. Absolutely, I am. Absolutely, I am. We've ordered a new filter, so if you want to wait till next week, I understand. Still, we could, we could get this done today. It would just be a bit chilly for a moment, okay? But we also want to lay that out there, that if you've never joined this community of believers, are we perfect? No. No, it starts with me. I'm as far from it as you could possibly imagine. And every person that joins us just makes us that much more imperfect because we're all human. We're all going to make mistakes, every single one of us. And that's what makes the body of Christ so beautiful. We love each other in spite of our mistakes. We serve each other in spite of our mistakes because our God loves us anyway. Pray about that decision if you've never made it. Father God, as we come into this time where we get to worship you through celebrating the gift that you gave us, Father, as we come into this time where we worship you through the bringing of our tithes and our offerings, as we consider all that you've done for us and the specific physical things you've given us in this world, may those be an opportunity for us to reflect on the importance of the body of Christ. There are so many people here that can't imagine life without the body. Father, they've, they've been a part of this body, a member of this body for so many years and, and been through so many trials and struggles in life. And, and this body, in so many regards, has helped them through those things. But Father, there's others that have been here so many years and have never fully committed. And I pray that in this series, in this moment, that the Spirit will move them to do just that. Father, I pray if those who are here that uh, ha- are just new, they've just been visiting for a while, they've never committed to joining the body here, they're still learning I pray that they ask questions. I pray they sign up to have lunch with us leaders. I I pray that the Spirit answers those questions in their mind so they realize, no, we're not perfect. If they're looking for the perfect church, they're not going to find it here. But, Father, they're going to find a perfect God here. Father, that's what we want to present to them. And as imperfect as our body is, 
Father, we want to love them into your perfection. Be with us as we worship through these emblems. Be with those that might be making decisions today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.